It's good to be back with you. There are, when Brandon said, you know, talk about some things, think about some things that you're grateful for, multiple things came to my mind. So let me just share several with you. Uh, we got to go to the Panhandle of Florida, which I've never been there before. It was beautiful. White sandy beaches, clear water. We even went to, um, up here we saw sea turtles, big, huge sea turtles. We saw a 10 to 12 foot tiger shark. We saw um, 12 dolphins. You could hear them talking to each other. And then we saw a guy who had a 100 pound tarpon on the line. And it, he was, we watched him for like a half hour. The guy was just sweating. And this, this tarpon took him all around. He thought it was about 100 pounds. I believe him, because when that thing broke water, it was like, oh my goodness. But it took him all around the pier. He had to lift his pole up above people that were on the pier because, you know, those are always pretty crowded. So, but just like how awesome is our God that he created all these things? Like, it's just, a, it's just amazing. And that he allowed us in one 45-minute pier trip to see all of that uh, was really cool. So another thing that I'm, I'm praising God for is we got to go on vacation with Andy and Jordan Curzon, who Jim, one of our elders, it's his oldest son. And I met Andy in high school. We played basketball together. And I just love Andy so much. He's such a sweet man. And the elders and I, we've been talking about how many people um, this church has produced that has gone on to do amazing things and be devote followers of Jesus. So I think of Adam Curzon. Adam Curzon was here, Ron and Patty's son here, a, a few weeks back. And... He's just another example of that. We got to have dinner with my brother-in-law, Jeremy, and his family last night. And another guy that this church produced that's just doing wonderful things. Like, this is a good place to be. Um, what else am I thankful for? Oh, how about the guest speakers in this past month? Yeah, give it up for them. I was just so impressed by them. And I just, I love learning from them, and I hope you did too. Like, we have a church where there are gifted people that can communicate. And, and like Dave said, you don't just have to hear from me all the time. That's wonderful to be a part of a church like that. So, um, so those are all things that were swirling, swirling around in my mind. Um, we are going to wrap up our sermon series on the book of Ephesians. We titled it, Walking in the Light, Walking in the Light. And it's because when Jesus saves us, when he rescues us, he, what does he save us from? He saves us from darkness, the darkness of sin, death, right? And he doesn't just save us from that, he saves us to a new life of light. And so that's, that's the title. Um, we're going to look at Ephesians 6 to wrap up this sermon series. And um, so I'm going to talk about marriage today, parenting, work. <laughs> And spiritual warfare. <laughs> That's easy, right? Uh, you guys probably don't need any help in any of these areas. Um, full disclosure, let me tell you a story of how I've not arrived, especially in marriage. So here's the story. July 3rd this year, 2021. I am working hard, right, to get our house ready for a 4th of July get-together. My wife comes to me, it's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm working down by the pool. She says, uh, I just want to tell you this now because I think you're going to be pretty embarrassed. 
And she was like kind of snippy, and I'm like, man, where did this come from, right? <laughs> she said, today is my birthday. <laughs> so, oh, it gets worse. Um, so, she said, you know, I want to tell you, because you're about to find out that today's my birthday, and I just said, oh my goodness. I am so sorry. Uh, I told you it gets worse. You know why? This is the second year in a row it's happened. So, uh, I know technically, I didn't forget her birthday last year because it was like noon on her birthday that I was sitting with her in the living room and I just went, oh my goodness, it's your birthday today. It just, so I didn't technically forget, I wouldn't say. So, needless to say, I have a lot of growing to do, even in the, this marriage aspect. So, let's learn together. Um, <laughs> Ephesians 6. Will somebody please help me remember next year, though? Like, <laughs> like, like I'm like, I asked Mary, I said, yeah, no. I don't get help. You, you remember your wife's birthday. I, I told my boys, I said, I asked Mary, I said, did the boys remember it was your birthday? Yeah, they've been giving me hugs all day, telling me how much they love me, and I'm like, so I'm thinking like, boys, like, help a brother out. Why can't you help me here? We're all gonna work together in this. Man. All right, here we go, Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this, for this is right. You hear that, Elijah? Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of of God from the heart, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters, do the same things to them, giving up, threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of, dark, of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, 
that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren, love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Alright, so, big idea here today is the gospel is to shape every aspect of our life. I know Dave said something similar last Sunday, but that the first three chapters of Ephesians is really an explanation of the gospel. And then if you look at 4 through 6 of Ephesians, it's gospel application. What Paul is saying is that every aspect, every aspect of your life should be affected by the gospel. The gospel isn't something that we just believe so that we go to heaven when we die. It is that, but it's more. It's also the message that should guide every day of our life until that time comes, right? And so Paul wants to make that clear. And so what he does is he focuses, Paul, what he does in chapters 5 and 6, is he focuses on two of the most critical aspects of our Christian walk, our relationships, and our fight against evil. So let's look at each one of those, and we'll see how the gospel should impact each important component of our Christian walk. So first... We are to engage in gospel-shaped relationships. Um, and if you look, if you, so if you go back to Ephesians 5, Paul, in verses 18 through 21, this is what he told the Ephesian believers. Let me read this to you. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So what Paul is making clear, that your relationships with other Christians should be marked by mutual submission. This is extremely, extremely important. Uh, and so what Paul then does after he says, like, hey, your relationships, they should be a gospel-shaped relationships are marked by mutual submission. He then goes to talk about marriage, parenting, work, right? He, he talks about those. So let's start with marriage. Um, Paul, he writes he, in Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, and also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wise be to their own husbands in everything. All right, so here is God's design for marriage. It goes like this. The husband is the head of the wife, just like Christ is the head of the church. What does that mean? It means that the husband is the leader of the wife, just as Christ is the leader of the church. Just as the church voluntarily yields itself to Christ as the leader, the wife in the marriage relationship is to voluntarily yield herself to the leadership of her husband. Um, 
what does this look like? So practically, what does it look like for a wife to voluntarily follow her husband's lead? Well, there, there, here's a couple things I thought of. It can mean a wife willingly receiving her husband's love, care, concern, guidance. It can mean a wife providing encouragement, support, and input into her husband's vision for the family. It can mean the wife resisting to take control of certain areas of the family's life without the consent of her husband. It can look like a wife following her husband's uh, lead on an issue that they don't see eye to eye on, but after much discussion and listening by the husband, the husband thinks that we as a marriage, uh, as a married couple, we as a family need to take this direction. What, please note this, what doesn't it mean for a wife to submit to her husband? So this is what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean a wife blindly obeying whatever her husband wants to do and tells her to do. It doesn't mean that the wife doesn't have a voice. It doesn't mean that the husband is more valuable than his wife, greater than his wife, smarter than his wife. It doesn't mean a wife should follow her husband into sin. It doesn't mean that the wife should compromise the care and protection of her children to follow her husband. It doesn't mean that the wife should ever be subjected to physical, sexual, or emotional abuse, right? That, that's not what it means to submit to your husband. And in fact, if your husband is, his leadership is taking you into those things, you should resist it emphatically, right? So... Now, God calls the wives to voluntarily follow the leadership of her husband, just as the church voluntarily follows the leadership of Christ. So wives, how are you doing? How are you doing? Let me ask you some questions to help you assess how you're doing. First question that I could think of. Do you view your husband as the leader of your marriage and family? Or have you taken control? The second question, is it a joy for your husband to lead you? Or are you constantly complaining to him, rejecting his ideas for the family, making your own decisions and doing your own thing apart from him? If he makes a mistake in leading the family, because he will, no leader's perfect except for Christ, do you make it impossible for him to live it down? How are you doing, wives, with your God-given uh, role uh, to submit to your husband? All right, Paul turns next to husbands. Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. Husbands, love your wives. Remember their birthdays. Just as Christ also <laughs> loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, so Paul, he gives two illustrations in terms of what does it look for a husband to submit to his wife in the marriage relationship. The first illustration is, once again, Paul uses the illustration of Christ and the church. And so what we see is the church, yes, voluntarily follows Christ's lead, but what does Christ voluntarily do for the church? What does he voluntarily do for the church? He leverages all that he has and all that he is so that he can present each member of the church as holy and without blemish to the Father. That's what Christ does for the church. Through his death, Christ, he's removed you know, the, he's, he's removed the penalty of sin from the church. And now he is sanctifying the church, which means he is removing uh, his people. Uh, he's already moved, removed them from the power of sin, but he is, uh, he is breaking um, their sin habits in them. Since they are free from the power of sin, they no longer have to live as slaves to sin. And Christ, right now, the sanctification process is he's helping his people live under his rule instead of under the reign of sin. That's what he's doing. He submitted himself to the church's glorification. This is what Philippians 2 is all about, right? Christ giving up his glory. So what? So you and I could be glorified. Now, the second illustration that Paul uses to describe how a husband should submit to his wife in the marriage relationship is using the illustration of how a husband loves and cares for his own body. Husbands, like we make sure we're well fed. We make sure we're, some of us are way overfed. We make uh, sure that we are well clothed, right? We make sure that when we have a wound, we bandage it up, right? We take care of ourselves. We don't neglect our bodies. Paul says, husbands, you, you nourish and cherish your body. So husbands, what do, what do these two illustrations mean for us? Here's what I thought of. Husbands, you are not to lord over your spouse. Your wife is not your slave. You are not to be harsh, domineering, critical, insensitive, judgmental, for this is not the way of Christ. You have been called to devote your leadership to helping your wife become all that God has designed her to be. You are to help her discover her God-giving gifts and talents and abilities. You are to help her discover her God-given dreams. And you are to leverage all that you are and all that you have to help her realize her full potential in Christ. For young guys here, or guys that are engaged, this is what you're signing up for. This is how God designed marriage to work. You are to make sure your wife is well-fed, well-rested, well-nourished. You are to see to it that not just her physical wounds, but any emotional wounds are healed. You are to cherish her. She needs to be a top priority. You need to submit yourself to her in extravagant love, so it is a no-brainer for her to follow, voluntarily follow your 
leadership. Husbands, how are we doing? Have you taken on the role of being the leader of your marriage and family? Or have you abdicated that responsibility to your wife or someone else? I see this a lot in men. If you have taken on that role to be the leader, is the bulk of your leadership devoted to partnering with God to help your wife become all that God designed her to be? Does your wife view you as her biggest cheerleader or her biggest critic? Are you a joy to follow? Are you a joy to follow? When I think about all the marital issues I've seen as a pastor, I would say the large majority of the time, the problem is with the husband. That's just what I've seen. Which isn't a surprise, because as the leader goes, what? Everything else goes. Shouldn't surprise us. Hmm. Parenting. Ready for parenting? Let's go. <laughs> Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, right? Paul, he's talking about what mutual submission should look like in parenting. And he starts with, the once again, the one who's to be doing the following, which is the child, right? And he's talking about children that are in the process of being brought up. So this is like, you know, elementary, middle school, high school age kids is who... Paul is talking to, and he says that the child in the child-parent relationship should be obeying the parent, the parents. That's what Paul says. And he gives four reasons why this should be the case. First reason is this. Children should obey their parents in the Lord, which means they should obey their parents to honor God. That's one motivation that children should have for obeying their parents, is to honor God. Second motivation um, children should obey their, their parents because it is right, Paul says. In other words, this is how God designed the parent-child relationship to work. Thirdly, when the child obeys his parents, it honors his parents. Fourthly, the child's obedience to their parents allows them to experience the promise that is mentioned here, which is, it will go well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Now, I, I don't know what to do with this promise. Um, uh, interpreters are all over the place on it. <laughs> um, I, none of them are really, I find, satisfying. Um, the best, the best, probably the place where I would land is that this promise in particular is more like a general pattern. There's exceptions to this rule. We all know of kids who were good kids that died early, suffered tremendously. So um, that's what I'm thinking. I don't know for sure. Just throwing that out there. So middle schoolers and high schoolers in the room, let me ask you this question. How are you doing obeying your parents? Are you constantly arguing with them? Are you always looking to bend the rules? Are you grateful for the sacrifices that, got, that your parents are making for you? <clears throat> Those are questions that you need to consider. Now let's go to the parents, right? So parents, what, what is their role of submission in this relationship? 
Well, as parents, guess what? Um, you know this, but you need to be reminded of it. Our number one job of, uh, as parents is not to make our kids, train our kids to be awesome artists, awesome athletes, awesome scientists, awesome whatever we want to, we go after as parents, right? Our number one job is to train them to become great followers of Christ. That's our number one job. Paul says, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord and then do it without provoking your, your child to wrath. So we need to train kids to become adults that are well adept at loving God with everything they've got and loving others with the same intensity that they love themselves. That is our singular goal as parents. That's what we leverage everything towards. The, this is key, though. As we train our children up in the ways of Jesus, we've got to do it in the way of Jesus. How did Jesus disciple his 12 disciples? With this awesome mixture of grace and truth. We as parents, we've got to calibrate grace and truth, mix these together so well that it leads to the liberation of our kids so that they become everything that God designed them to be. Because if you're a parent and you're all full of truth and no grace, you're going to have one wrathful kid on your hand. That's what happens. And you know what? When kids are angry, they rebel. And so you're going to have a rebellious kid on your hand. If you're all full of grace and no truth, guess what? You're not really leading. Your child is. They're calling the shots. They're pretty much doing whatever they want to do. And you're just saying it's okay. Which is going to lead to them becoming an adult and most likely being wrathful against you because they're going to resent you that you've never put boundaries in place. You never put boundaries in place for them. Grace and truth. Parents, how are you doing? Would your kids say that you're always like on them? You're always being critical of them? You're always saying they got to achieve this and do that and perform better and it's just this never-ending, I can't please them sort of thing? After, after anything they do, are you always like four things they could have done better? How are you doing, parents? Are you letting your parents call the shot? Are you letting your children call the shots? Have you set boundaries? Are you firm with the truth that they need to hear? All right, Paul goes to work. And I understand that verses 5 through 9 of this passage are talking about a slave-master relationship. And this is a side note, but it's important. Paul is not condoning slavery here. Actually, he is setting the stage for slavery to eventually be dismantled. That's what he's doing. Um, but I think what Paul says about the slave-master relationship can help us in our work relationships. So let's just look at what he had to say. So Paul, again, he addresses the slave first and then the master second. Um, the, the follower first, the, the leader second. So in Ephesians 6, 9, he says this. You are, nope, back up. In, in, in Ephesians, I think, 5... He says, let me just sum up what he says here. This is how I'd sum it up. Slaves, serve your masters well because it's really God you're serving. He is your real master and he will make sure that you are rewarded for your excellent work. That's the motivation. 
All right, so how should slave owners submit to their slaves? Which, by the way, any talk about slave owners submitting to their slaves, this was radical. This was unheard of. This is you talk about this stuff. Ephesians 6, 9. And you masters do the same things. What? Do the same things to them? Giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Masters do the same. In other words, serve your slaves well, because it's really God you're serving. No threats, no abuse, no mistreatment. Make sure they're well-fed, well-clothed, well-educated, right? They're in a role that suits them. Remember that you have a master in heaven who shows no partiality, which means in order to please your master in heaven, your real master, you must treat your slave as your equal, because they are of equal value to God as, they, as you are to him. Don't you see this was sowing the seeds for the, the, the destruction of slavery? This is what was, Paul was doing. Now, let me ask you workers here. How are you doing at work? Even if you have an employer that you're not very fond of. Are you complaining? Are you whining? Are you still putting in an honest, solid days of work, a solid day of work? Are you fudging your work hours? Like, how are you working? Because you're really working for the Lord. Can your employer look at you and say, "Man, John, he is awesome. If we could just have a hundred more of John, we would be in good shape." Shows up on time. He knows what he's doing. Pays attention. He has a good attitude. Employers, um, how are you treating those who work for you? Do you really care about them as people? Do you know what they're interested in? Or are they just an object that you're using to get done what you want to get done? Do you pay them well? Do you provide good benefits for them? Do you give them clear roles and expectations? Do you celebrate their victories? How are you doing? What I found in the parent-child relationship, once again, when I see children and when I was teaching, what did I find most? It was the kid's issue. No. Most often, when I was a school teacher, the problem was with the parents. Again, the leader of the relationship, the parent-child relationship, messing it up. What I often find, even with employees and employers, that often it's the employers that are messing things up for the employees. How many people can use, can, that you know can really say, I love where I work, they really take care of me and treat me well? That, that's few and far between, which again, shouldn't surprise us. Now, I'm going to wrap this up because I think I've gone my long, long enough time here. What I, but, but I will take a little while to wrap it up um, in true fashion. So I found it interesting that the Apostle Paul, he's talking about this mutual submission, right, in relationships, and that's how we live out the gospel in our relationships. And he goes through marriage, he goes through parenting, he goes through the slave-master relationship that we're applying to, you know, our work here in 2021. And then he just abruptly starts talking about spiritual warfare. Isn't that odd? Like, doesn't that, like, totally seem, like, out of place? And, like, or is it? 
Mm. Or is it? Because I'm telling you, there is no place that Satan likes to attack more than marriage and family. And if he can make workplaces just all about gossip and division and discord and bitterness and resentment like they often are. Look, Satan knows that what? As the marriage goes, the family goes. As the family goes, the workplace goes. As the workplace goes, the whole community goes. And so if he can come and he can attack and disrupt things at the nucleus of the family in the marriage relationship, there's the domino effect. And that's what's happening. So, how do you use the gospel as a defense system, a weapon system against the enemy, the evil, who wants to destroy that household so he can destroy the workplace, so he can destroy our cities and our communities? Well, you got to put on the armor of God. And let me just just hit these. I'm trying to wrap this up quick. But Bell of Truth, just real quick. He mentions the Bell of Truth. You need to know the truth about who you are, who you are in Christ, um, who God is, what is the problem with the world, what Jesus is doing to fix the problem. You've got to know the truth, right? Breastplate of righteousness. This really uh, refers to two things. First thing is, if you're in Christ through faith, God looks at you as righteous. He looks at you as if you've done everything that Jesus has done. Right? So you have this positional righteousness with God. Also, though, you should be concerned about actually living out what you've already been declared to be. Becoming more righteous in thought, word, and deed. Right? So that's, that's righteousness. You need to be pursuing that. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You need to know the gospel message. You need to be able to communicate that gospel message succinctly to different people that are coming from different backgrounds. Because as you learn to do that, guess what? The gospel is cementing itself more in your own mind and heart. Shield of faith. The shield of faith is I'm going to trust in God and his promises. Look, the devil is always looking to, to fire fiery darts at us. You're not good enough. You're a screw up. You should feel shamed about that. Right? You're a horrible husband. You're a horrible wife. Whatever. Fiery darts he throws at your... You need to respond with the promises of God. The shield of faith. Helmet of salvation. This is... Look, Satan is tempting me. I don't have to give in to that sin. Why? Because I'm no longer a slave to it. I've been saved from the ruling power of sin by the blood of Christ. I don't have to say yes to this. I'm going to say no. That's the helmet of salvation. Sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Where do you find the truth of God? Where do you find what it means to live righteously for God? Where do you find uh, the gospel? Where do you find God's promises? It's in the Word of God. We need to be in the Word of God, digesting, eating it, wrestling with it, taking it in. That's So that is the armor of God. You want to have a great marriage? Put on your armor. You want to have a great family? Put on your armor. You want to do well at work? You want to be a great employer? Put on your armor. If you don't, you are going to be subject to one attack after another, and you're not going to do these things well. All right. Let me ask you this. What is God saying to you, and what are you going to do about it this week?
What is God saying? He's got to be speaking to you. This is what the Holy Spirit does when we get together like this and you hear the word preached. What is he saying to you? What's one simple action step you can take this week to apply it? So that we're not just people that hear the word, but we're not doers of the word. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are a model. You're not only our model, but you're our power to live this out. Um, we need you, Holy Spirit, to fill us. That's another key aspect to us being able to submit our relationships. As we put on our armor, Holy Spirit, you are filling us and empowering us. But Jesus, you are a model. You show us what submission looks like. You are the one who um, equal with God, but you didn't hold on to all the privileges and rights that were owed to you as God, but you gave them all up and you descended down, 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 down into the depths of sin and evil and death so that you could raise us up from it. How remarkable. May we live like you in our relationships. May we uh, follow you who didn't come to, to, to be served, but to serve. May we be servants. May we submit to one another according to your design in our relationships. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.